Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers and for readers and for anyone who cares about stories. Um, This is going to be one of the Writing Ramble episodes. It's not scripted. I don't really... It's not really planned either. Um, it's just something where I switch the mic on and I have a chat about something that's on my mind. And um, today, there's so I'm recording this on Friday the 15th of March. Uh, so there's a lot going on in the world at the moment. And I don't... I don't want to... I don't want to be like a, a reader... <laughs> a lot online and on Twitter and stuff and on Facebook. I spend way too much time on social media and it's become like a, you know, the stereotype of the like white dude with a podcast feeling that they have to, um, imagining themselves as having to comment on everything or that they're at the centre of the universe or making everything about them. And I don't want to, well, I don't, I don't want to be accused of that. I, I'm sort of less. I'm probably less bothered about whether I'm actually doing it, but I just don't want to be. I don't want. Don't want to be criticised. Of course, I don't. No, who does? Who who wants to be criticised and called an idiot? Um, and so I'm aware that you know, talking a bit about what's happened today. This is a, a day where we've woken up to find there's been a massacre in New Zealand of of Muslims. There we. There's climate strikes all around the world, children leaving their schools to protest. Um, yesterday, a UN report came out talking about how even if all carbon emissions stopped now, we're still looking at a three to five centigrade, centigrade rise in heat at the poles, which will mean devastating runaway climate change, rising sea levels, destruction of habitats, destruction of food chains, places in the world will become uninhabitable. And, you know, I've talked about it in previous shows, but my mental health has not been great recently and I like I know that isn't the most important thing in the world right there's all these like genuine crises and catastrophes happening in the world and those are just some right you know like I'm very conscious that every day there are you know that there are massacres and murders in countries that might not be English speaking or might not be uh predominantly uh, have a predominantly white population and they just don't get reported on in the same way um that there are extinctions that there are there is you know starvation that there is a lack of clean drinking water that there are crises that are 24-hour news cycle media just doesn't really have the means to report on and the algorithms and the way that we share information online doesn't really have a great we it just we don't know how to process what's happening to us i think it's fair to say you know without controversy and um i've been finding it really hard to write 
So I think, you know, that's the real that's the real tragedy of all this, isn't it? The Tim Clare can't write. Um now obviously I'm joking, but not about not being able to uh, I've just been thinking, why why write at the end of the world? Why write when the world is ending? Why I've been spending time with my daughter Suki. She's been ill this week, and look, I some of this is going to be influenced on what's going on, but you know, in my personal life. Um, and I should say, you know, today's episode, this chat, you know, if you like listening to the episodes where I'm just talking through someone's first page, that's great. I'm, I'm. You don't have to sit through this as some kind of tribute to, to me. It's it's fine for you to not dig these kind of episodes where I'm talking personally, going, well, this isn't, I want something that's practical advice for my writing. This isn't for me. This it, this isn't a, a, a test of, of faith or loyalty. I, I do different things on the show. Sometimes I'm talking to authors. Sometimes I'm doing practical stuff. You know, I've got the, now I've got the mailing list where people can just get that raw kind of hit of a 10 minute exercise every week. It's cool for you to dip in and out with what's useful to you. And if you don't feel, if you just don't feel like you're up to hearing this today, that's fine. Please, please, please don't make yourself listen to this uh, resenting me and then you feeling bad and you not being able to cope. I don't want to like export my own misery and my own grief. It's just, it feels like it's important, right? It feels like it's important to me. And I'm just figuring this stuff out as I talk to you because I've been home with Suki and I've had no one to talk to for a couple of days. And I found myself questioning why I, why write? Why bother when there might not be a world to live in in 50 years? When we've known about this for ages... And people just keep consuming and people just keep just going on as if it's not happening. Have you ever read On the Beach by Neville Shute? It's a um, a novel in which the world has been devastated by a horrendous nuclear war. And it's set in Australia. And the Northern Hemisphere had been wiped out by a terrible exchange between the nuclear powers and australia's all right but the like winds are going to slowly bring the nuclear fallout south and they reckon they've got between six and nine months before nuclear fallout makes all of australia uninhabitable and kills everyone and The weirdest thing about it, like one of the characters is a submarine captain, an American submarine captain who's made it to Australia. And they think there might be a radio signal from America. And then there's a a woman who kind of, they kind of have an emotional affair. They, well, they just kind of fall in love with each other at the end of the world. Love at the end of the world, you know, is partly what it's about, but. The thing about it that is so difficult to read is how everyone 
in the story is just getting on with stuff. Like there's loads of things to do with like the supply of petrol. So, you know, a lot of people have gone back to like things being horse drawn. But there were still people taking like uh, shorthand courses for jobs that are not going to exist. You know, for a world that isn't going to exist. They have like a boating regatta. The only real thing <laughs> that one gets about it being the end of the world is that everyone is drinking loads. Everyone is just like casually boozed up to the eyeballs. And even the American submarine captain, he, to him, his wife and child that he left in America are still alive. They still, they're still, because he hasn't seen it, the devastation, they're still alive to him. And everyone is just continuing as if nothing's going to happen. I think one of the things that makes the novel particularly powerful and, and why I think like allegory and situations in science fiction and fantasy that have parallels to our world, whether those parallels are deliberate or not, whether you're supposed to read it as a kind of point for point allegory in, in you know, like a kind of Orwell's Animal Farm, I guess is the the ur example of something that you are supposed to read as a parable rather than it being its own world that just happens to uh, resonate with, with, with our one. But I think the thing that's really difficult about it is that Neville Shute is writing about how our world is day to day. Um, He's not really writing about that world at all. He, I'm not sure whether this is conscious or what, you know, like I, I don't think it matters what his intent is. I don't think authors really get to say what their work means beyond them just being another reader of it when it's out there. Frankly, they can say, I meant this, I meant this. They can say that, like they can talk about their intentions if they had them. I think some of those are a little bit post hoc rationalizations. I think often we make a more coherent story of what we were trying to say once we've done it and then pretend we knew from the beginning. And maybe some authors do. I'm sure that we have all have different ways of working. But the thing about On the Beach is we are all going to die not in six or nine months, some of us, but we are all going to die and we all act as if we're not and we are mostly in a kind of pathological denial about it as individuals and as a society. Nobody fucking talks about it and we act like we're going to be here forever. And we estrange ourselves from death and we estrange ourselves from what's going on in the wider world. And we estrange ourselves from the sublime terror of being a human in the world. And the horror and the wonder and the just crazy weirdness of being alive, of being this temp temporarily sentient aggregation of haunted meat that will someday rot down into the soil and depending on your beliefs it may or you know human consciousness as far as we understand does not survive death it's cheery isn't it this but you see i'm already trying to make reflexive jokes to make people not feel uncomfortable because we're social animals and we don't want to upset one another and also if that's true why bring it up at all you know who are you helping we might as well like is it, is it so wrong to act 
in to be in denial. And actually, I'm not sure, like reading On the Beach, I think the book is agnostic about whether denial is a bad thing or not, or whether there's something kind of sacred and beautiful about it. Frankly, at that point, I'm not saying it's like going, oh, well, don't worry about nuclear wars happening, but I think the book is very ambivalent about whether that's one, because what else, what else do you want them to do? You know, in the book, there's this whole thing where some human beings are like, where they're, you know, people are making plans whether they get all these tablets, these kind of like this human data, all these notes, and put them in kind of like the equivalent of like perspex blocks and sink them at the Antarctic. So they might be, if any human, if human civilization rises again one day, if any human survive, they can find that cache of information. But it's kind of besides the point in some ways. You know, so I've been thinking, uh, I I wanted to put this in context. And I think the reason I want to talk about this is because you sit down and you go to write. And the reflexive answer of writers when they say, well, you know, do we need, what's the, what, what is the, what is the role of the writer in dark times and times of crisis? What is the role of the writer? And writers all, like often step in and say, oh, we're the most important people, right? They go, oh, this is exactly the time you need to write. That's like the reflexive, I think, almost unthinking answer. Now, just to put, things in context I've my mental health hasn't been good we've had somebody that we know in our group of friends has passed away in the last week Um, we've had a sort of private family tragedy and um, I've just found like I'm there with my daughter Suki who's two now and sometimes I really Sometimes just knowing what's going on in the world, I can't concentrate on being there with her because I'm so worried, I'm so scared, I'm so worried for her and the future she faces. And then I start thinking, you know, what what does human life mean? What are we doing? You know, it just starts to seem a bit silly, all this stuff about, oh, can I get in the bestseller list? You know, my road to 1,500 bit that I've been pushing past the point it's funny uh, for the fast few months it just I'm just in this place of like going what's important and is writing part is there a place for writing in a world that is that could soon become uninhabitable because writers have been writing about climate disaster for years for decades right and I'm not sure it's changed anybody's mind I'm not sure it's made it's not made a much of an impact. So what what do we do when it feels like the world's ending? Whether it is or not, you know, whether it is or not, I I have some doubts about whether these fears of everything ending and human life being meaningless are a part of me getting older, you know? Maybe there's something that every human being goes through and struggles with at some stage. I don't know. I don't know what you've been through in your life. I don't know where. I don't. Know, and you know, someone who's as someone who suffers with mental illness, I don't know whether these feelings I'm having about oh God, humanity's fucked are 
I can't concentrate on doing my day-to-day things because I think we're in such a state. Oh gosh, is there any meaning to human life? Is there anyone out there watching over us? Will we one day can be completely extinct? Do we go... Is there enough fuel in the world and enough technology that one day we will go to the stars? Does it... You know, these questions that are... I don't know, they seem... I don't hear many people asking them anymore. They they kind of seem goofy and silly. I think one of the reasons I enjoy genre writing is because I'm... With science fiction, we're sometimes allowed to ask those questions. And with fantasy, I feel like sometimes we're able to engage with the deep traumas of our past and lost hope and just have a place of asking those questions uh, without bumming people out i mean i feel, i know look i it, this is a ramble so i know i'm rambling and jumping from subject to subject but this i idea that we just you know we're so busy we're so busy and we're so aware of so selectively aware of so much of the world it's frazzling and terrifying and I feel like 10 years ago, I had faith that humanity was sort, would sort itself out, you know, that peop, we were moving in a generally good direction, that we were slowly getting better and learning and improving on our mistakes and that love would be enough. And now I don't know. I love human beings so much. I love speaking to you. I love doing this. I wouldn't do it if I didn't get so much out of it. And today I'm being particularly selfish but i just feel i've been so focused on the psychology of why you know how you can get past the blocks that you have how you can get this build this flow on willpower to write how writing can make you feel happier and i don't know it's just you kind of then look out the window and you see people dying and this impending disaster and you kind of wonder, or I kind of wonder, what's the point? Is this all terribly self-indulgent? Now, as the thing I was going to say before I sort of self-interrupted was, I wonder whether through history people have always felt like this. That they look at what they're going through in the moment and think oh gosh, like the world's... I, I know when I was like looking, uh, I I had all these like, my nan had got some creative writing manuals from the 1970s. And uh, in them, they they were like monthly, this monthly little green uh, sort of A6 uh, stapled magazine. And they had... A writing competition every month and I was looking through one from the 1970s and the theme was poems on um on with the with the title the year 2000 and they were like they did like a little run through of the shortlisted ones and the winners and they were they were it was you know largely sort of suburban housewives uh sort of prophesying the apocalypse for two th- year 2000 right like they 
Ethel L. It was stuff like L- Ethel M. Wildgust of Walton on the Nays foresaw a quote frightening nullity end quote ah uh, and, and and the most the most hopeful one goes something like out of the ashes of internecine strife the phoenix of sacred utopian life so they were all saying like there's gonna be a nuclear war we're fucked we are fucked like they were they were all just going none of them were like this is great ah uh, I think I think may ah no I think maybe the winner was like uh it's called something like a, a drowsing Dionysian speaks to his video phone or something like that and that one was just like a bit more Jetsons but the rest they were going with with humanity's going to wipe itself out and people grew up on in the specter of nuclear war thinking yeah with nuclear proliferation is just going to inevitably end to the entire world being blasted to b- molten slag like how could it not so many of the books that i grew up with you know children's books even were about devastating nuclear war and the aftermath right that was so prevalent and part of the and it could still happen of course uh, thermonuclear war as a sort of outsider ticket for bringing on the apocalypse uh we mustn't be complacent but the threat of it has definitely has definitely gone down in the public consciousness and i think it rightly so it's less likely than it was but then other things rise up you know other things rise up and it, it i don't want to sound like i'm being dismissive of the climate crisis i'm not this this is just my way of thinking about it is going well am i amplifying it it's very hard for me to know when there's a genuine this is the problem about having an anxiety disorder right very difficult to know when something is a genuine terrible threat that needs to be dealt with and, and when something is just my brain magnifying something many 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 times out of proportion it would be nice if it was the latter but i fear it's the former in this case and i don't know whether anything can or will be done when there are so many forces in the world so many people who are intent on blocking it on scoffing who are more interested in making money than than looking after the planet you know i i I don't know and 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 then and the this is the thing about writing that gets so seldom talked about especially when you're writing a novel if you are writing a novel the chances are it's going to take you if you write like lightning fast if you just write if you don't care about right you're writing on the line if you don't mind that line by line your novel is dog shit uh but you got a good plot right but like let's say at the very very minimum if you were writing like just greased lightning you might do it in three months six months would still be hugely quick probably a year is like if you can write a novel in a year you are i think a machine but maybe that's the uh, i can't even write a novel in a year i find it so tricky to do that with any sort of commitment to quality if you were writing for a year, if you're working on a novel for a year, 
just being a human in the world, there are going to be external crises. You're going to go through a breakup. You're going to go through a health scare. You're going to go through a financial problem. You're going to be bereaved. There's going to be a war. There's going to be public crises. There's going to be issues with your mental health. Somebody you love is going to go to hospital or be in trouble or need your help. Um, you are going to be burgled not all of those things i'm not this isn't a prophecy don't worry but something will go massively wrong in your or somebody you love's life during that period almost certainly or in the world and but we talk about the writing process as if it's just done in this like hermetic kind of monk's cave and it's not you, you are doing it while being a person in the world. And this is why so many people put their novels down, right? Because life gets in the way. And they feel they have to stop because they're trying to deal with their life. And then they feel like they didn't have... And then they go, oh, I didn't have enough willpower. Oh, I just... You know, this thing happened. It happened to my... You know, it happened with with my nan. She stopped writing when she was younger, when she... In a mo, you know, in a time of sadness in her life, and and she never picked it back up again. She just had, a per, you know, a personal crisis, personal tragedy, and then didn't didn't pick it back up again. And so many people do that. So many people who've done the Couch to Eighty K course have said that they come, they came to it after having given up writing, basically years before. I gave up writing fiction when I had a breakdown and I think about you know like C.S. Lewis was writing during the second world war you, you know he you, there's you know it's that's and Tolkien was writing during the second world war people who'd already been through a war right who'd already experienced war or seen war or seen these unprecedented wars and now there's a war with which ends up having like nukes in it where like the houses are being bombed and that, and they still oh and you don't know if the nazis are going to take over the world i mean unfortunately not and now you know now we see fascists everywhere don't we i mean they're not everywhere but one fascist in one place is too many right and he said uncontroversially, <laughs> that's me taking a moral stand, apparently. I think fascism is a bad thing. Well done, Tim. That's incredibly brave. But you see, but they, you know, why, why the fuck, you know, I can't imagine the mindset where, you know, I read, I was reading the, you'll know that I'm a big fan of the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis and, um, I keep panicking that he is called C.S. Lewis, isn't he? He's not. Is it C.J. Lewis who did the who did the cover of Sweets for my sweet? I can't. Sorry. Um. Anyway, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> hey, sorry, that was a weird tangent. My brain is absolutely scrambled. C.S. Lewis writing the Screw Tape Letters and writing it during the Second World War, where he didn't know what the outcome was going to be, and you know the protagonist well the protagonist is screw tape but the 
you know, subject of this devil trying to tempt someone into sin is, you know, is, you know, is there's bombing is happening in London. And um, Screwtape talks about hope and war and death. And I think, you know, the book is informed by C.S. Lewis's Christian faith, which I don't share. But it just it, it's interesting and fascinating and confusing and baffling to me that people in some of the darkest times in human history decide to write, you know, stories. Especially, you know, like Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, they're, they're writing silly stories, aren't they? You know, about people doing fights and dragons and, and, and devils with horns and sharp teeth. And, you know, why, God, you know, why do that? Why do, why write, you know? And I don't mean... I think, you know, why write is, uh, I've, I've said before what, I, you know, an antipathy I've got towards it as a question because it's so quickly answered by writers with these kind of valorizing, self-mythologizing things about the importance of writing. On a societal level, and I don't, I don't know, I, I know that writing seems to help us personally when we personally can't cope like I personally don't have the strength at the moment to participate in the the huge global struggle I feel is ahead to change awareness to change society to retool every country in the world to a not destroy the climate and b survive the upcoming like weather, hell, the flooding, the food shortages that that, that are now inevitably going to happen. And, you know, I'm not sure how helpful it is for writers to be just writing, they call it cli-fi, don't they? Science fiction about climate disaster futures. Oh, everything's underwater, said the spaceman. I, I'm not sure that really has made a huge difference to readers. I'm not sure people read that and go, oh, I thought global warming was a good idea. Now, if anything, I think it sort of like slightly estranges you. It puts it into the realm of fiction. I I don't know that those things are effective tools for changing minds. But if you're worrying about it all the time, if your heart is twisting late at night with the fear about it maybe you have to write about it I don't know I certainly know if you listen back to some of the interviews for the most of the interviews I've had with writers it certainly seems a common theme that writers are writing about and grappling with just traumas and fears and problems that don't really have an answer you know Andrew Cowan writing about the possibility of one's child dying you don't like write the book and go oh now I'm fine with it or oh, now my child is invincible I cannot be harmed by the world 
we live in a world where horrible things can happen to anyone. And actually, something that I find sort of upsetting is, I don't know if you've heard about heard of the fair world hypothesis, but just this idea that um, some people live with this idea that the world is fair and some people don't like live with the idea that the world is sort of capricious and not always fair. And actually people who have a sense that the world is fair in, you know, when they've done studies it's found that people who have a sense of the world is fair are more likely to victim blame if they are given a narrative in which somebody is raped um if they believe the world is fair they are more likely to place responsibility on the fictional survivor of that rape because if you think the world is fair then everyone must be slightly culpable for every misfortune that happens to them but then the flip side of that is believing in a world where we don't know what's going to happen to us. Maybe that's one of the great comforts of fiction. Maybe that's why we turn to it. It's to have a world we can control or, or maybe it's just we get these feelings onto the page and we don't change them. We just kind of sort of steep them and stew them like vegetables in a cooking pot and we grieve you know we don't gr- we don't have grieving rituals in the world because we think the person's going to come back to life if we do them i mean i'm sure there are some rituals that are to do with sort of someone passing on to the afterlife and then we will see them again in a while But most of our grieving rituals are just being with the pain and sharing it with the community and reminding one another that we are united as humans by the fact we're going to die, by the fact that we suffer and by the fact that we all want to feel safe and loved. Nobody doesn't want to feel those things. No, I... You know, I want to feel safe, I want to feel love, and I know you do too. And so why do we write? Why write at the end of the world? This week I I read through, just before my grandma died, my dad sat with his mum and got her to tell him her the story of her childhood and he wrote it down. And I was reading through what he's written down. He didn't write it in, he didn't transcribe what she actually said. He's kind of put it into his own words. Um, And I think he wanted me to read through it. I think that was important to him. I think he imagined that I would sort of turn it into some kind of story. And I I haven't haven't really, I don't feel capable of doing that. Um, I know it was important for him, you know, he knew his mum didn't have long left and he wanted to speak to her and he wanted to talk to her about it. Um, You might have heard me say it on the podcast before, but my grandma, who I knew as Omi, was, um, grew up in Nazi Germany in a time, you know, in a time of, and around some of the most horrendous things that have happened in human history, you know? In, in a time when she went past 
She went past Auschwitz on a school trip and saw and saw prams all over Auschwitz station platform. Empty prams. Where and she you know, she she was you know, she was a, a, a you know, she was a she ended up working for the for the Hitler youth when she got out of school. She um she I think according to the stuff my dad gave me in, informed on her teach one of her teachers to the Gestapo in indirectly which I was I don't know like it's it's cra it's crazy and awful you know like my my grandma was she was a child but she was definitely a child Nazi she was um and she uh she ended up she was also d disabled and she ended up going to hospital for a uh for a um for an operation to see if they could help her walk um she was placed in a full body cast towards the very end of the war and then as Germany fell to the Allies, Tate was moved in a full body cast um, by train uh, to another hospital. Uh, woke up, was, was put on a bunk, woke up after a night's sleep to discover that the nuns who'd been with them had, had run away and she'd been left there on the train on her own um, because the... Uh, because there'd been a, f a fight, there'd been a, a battle between the Germans and the Allies um, in the uh, valley at which the train tracks were at the bottom of, um, over <laughs> over the stationary train. And um, she ended up, she ended up having to, after the war was over, she ended up um, ha asking to be cut out of her full body cast, um, signed herself out of the hospital because there was no one there who was able to treat her um, and walked for miles to get back home. Uh, and I was... So she was on her way... She went. She got to a place. She was in a place called uh, Wolfhagen, and had to get to her family in Rosenthal. And it's a journey of about at the time is a journey of about a week, and a lot of bridges were out, so she had to make a lot of the journey on foot. This is someone who's just, you know is disabled, walked with a stick, and had just come out of a full body cast, and. Um, there was a point where she came to a bridge and there was a Russian soldier guarding it, pointed like a Moisin Nagant rifle at her and said she had to go back, that she couldn't cross. And she... So you imagine that, this 
young girl trying to get back to her mother and brother and walking with a stick and she you know she'd been through the ruins of Dresden that had been bombed and you're now trying to communicate with a Russian soldier, the enemy who's got a gun pointed at your head. And she told him that she was travelling home and she told him that she was trying to get to her mother and she used the word mama which in Russian means mother and at that the soldier really only a boy began to weep he hadn't seen his mum in years and she suggested to him that he pretend she'd come from the other side of the bridge and shout at her to go back that way which he agreed to and he let her pass I've never had to tell a story with a gun pointed at my head before uh, I do know that if my grandma hadn't successfully told that one hadn't successfully communicated to someone who was her enemy about the importance of home and about seeing her mother hadn't made him cry I wouldn't exist like she told a story a true story in that moment and it was enough to find a common humanity between these two strangers. Yeah, we know from the episode I did with the neuropsychologist Paul J. Zach that probably what was happening there was his brain was releasing oxytocin. The you know one of the one of the four kind of key neurochemicals that your brain produces that, that makes us feel a greater sense of community and closeness, a greater sense of trust. That he was thinking about his own family that he missed and the bonds we have with each other and that made him more compassionate and kinder and more trusting and that's why he didn't shoot her but let her across. And that's why she was able to get home and find her family. And they were able to escape. And that's why she was able to meet my granddad. And that's why I exist. Because of that moment. And thousands of others where people have told stories and they have stayed someone's hand. They've not stayed someone's hand. They've made someone kill someone, you know. That's stories can re-explain the world to us, and they can re and they can change someone's heart. I know that human beings have made some 
have done some incredible things off the back of stories, off the back of believing in something. And we've committed the worst atrocities that have ever existed, really on the basis of stories. These people are trying to get you. These people are less than human. These people are your enemies. These people aren't unlike us. These people are somehow different. These people are coming for you. And it sparks those chemicals, those primitive parts of us. It makes us feel fear. It makes us feel anger. It makes us want to protect. It makes us feel aggression. Or it can make us feel love. Or it can make us feel kindness. It can spark hope within us. It can spur us to action. Narrative change you know narrative changes the way we perceive the world we, we our memories are all encoded in terms of narrative our um our ability to perceive sort of different types of shapes and even colors is is sometimes culturally bound is sometimes our memory is is uh, often distorted by cultural expectation you know reading the work of bartlett's seminal work the psychologist uh, Bartlett on memory his war of the ghosts study where he got people to repeat a story and framed it as a memory exercise seeing what elements of the story they remembered um, how they changed it how they added things to fill in semantic gaps in the story based on cultural expectations and how different groups when they passed it down the line like a game of telephone uh, retelling the story to one another how despite the fact they were trying to remember it word for word how the sto story radically changed depending on people's backgrounds you know It just, I don't know whether the project of writing good stories is a meaningful one in the context of this wide, wide universe. I don't know. I believed once that I would get to a certain age and I'd understand how the world works or I'd feel a sense of peace or calm or I would, you know, crack it somehow. And I'm still, you know, relatively young. I don't know how much time I got left on this earth. And today I'm scared and I'm grieving. And I don't know how you feel at the moment. But all I know is Stories are the very material of being a human alive in the world. And sometimes we've got to shut up, you know, leave silence, allow those stories, the voices in our head to to quieten, to realise how much of 
what we think about the world is just it's just phantoms and expectations and sometimes we've got to write and we've got to speak and we've got to express these things if not to change other people then to change ourselves and change our hearts and and to grieve properly you know i i it it it's it struck me that i remember reading something about sort of ptsd and soldiers committing atrocities within war situations and one of the predicators of of increased incidents of those kind of horrendous humanitarian outrages were soldiers who no longer had um, the time or the uh, resources to to bury and mourn their dead as that started to no longer be in situations where that's no longer done um the incidence of dehumanizing the enemy and outrages rises it seems to me that i don't know if i'll ever you know i don't know if i have the strength to to engage with this world as it is you know I feel at the moment very weak, very without hope. And so sometimes writing is just the, it's the way that I can take these like deep wounds and traumas that are the worlds and that hurt other, other people much, much worse, but... It's the way I honour them and grieve with them. It's the way I try to get back what was lost. And sometimes those are very personal, small things. Sometimes they're about this, about lost loves. People I'll never see again. I I grieve for the people I've lost, people who've died who were in my life. And I think sometimes there's a culture of silence around death, around mental health, around grief, around meaning, around, I don't know, God, spirituality. I don't think I believe in any of those things, you know. But but what then? We can't just fill it all with like sarky jokes and memes. I want I want there to be something, you know. And there might not be anything. But we've got to try, I think. Because what else will you do? And You know, to, it's made me think about the Ice House. And this isn't me crowbarring in an advert for my own book. but Because um, it's coming out. And I've been so sort of caught up in promoting it and wanting it to do well. Because it's been four years of my life I've spent trying to make this thing. And... The book that's come out is is very dark, really. Been trying to play it up as being a bit more lighthearted than it is, but it's very dark, and it's a it's a book about the end of the world. 
and it's about old age and sickness and death and it's about loss it's profoundly about loss and generational trauma being handed down and things not being fixed and a kind of karmic energy coming back and people making the same mistakes and and the fact that love exists in the middle of all that I can't give you what I want to give you profoundly is some like inspiring message of hope at the end of this you know something that says and this is why writing is important this is why writing is essential this is why through writing you can change the world i'm sure there are ways that writing intersects with other parts of the world that where we are part of some something greater and we affect people in ways we don't understand but i, I can't tell you that What I know is that you are important. Your happiness is important. Your well-being, your fit sense of meaning, your ability to love the other and look after the people around you. Your quality of relationships is important and writing can help with all of those. It can, it can make you happier, healthier. It can get, help order your life and give you some uh, essence of meaning. And those things are all good predicators of well-being. And that will make you better able to help other people and participate in the world, in making this a better world. So I know that. With these bigger problems, I don't have any answers really. But I know that writing is just one practice where we can hold some of these seemingly insoluble problems. And we can be honest that we experience them. And if there's nothing to do but wait on the slopes of the volcano before it erupts and wipes us all out, then I hope at the very least we can make the choice to reach across and hold each other's hands and maybe tell a story. I want it to be okay. I want you to be okay. You are so important. And if there is nothing else in this world, if this is all there is, and if we are the only sentient beings in the universe, then how much more important are you? You right now might be the the closest thing the universe has to a god. The universe looking at itself and going, oh, whoa. And it's a lot. It's a lot. And sometimes it's okay just to have a baked potato and watch cartoons. In fact, it's always okay to do that. But... 
you're being happy and safe and well and the people around you being happy and safe and well and you experience meaning you're experiencing meaning is not some frivolous sideshow it's the whole fucking thing and i want to say to you now always make sure that your writing is working for you don't add to all this there's enough suffering in the world without you saying i haven't written enough i'm a bad person you're not you don't owe the world a word if you can find ways of doing it that make you happy if you can pick up that pen that just that you like and you open the notebook that's yours and you write in it and you talk about your feelings you talk about a memory and it brings the past back for once some brief brief moment if you can reach out and articulate some feeling that has just been buzzing fizzy and intangible in the air in front of you if you can honor something in the world even if it's just what a cup looks like i think there is something inherently meaningful and beautiful and worthwhile in doing those things and if your story can open a heart if your story can soften something in somebody if if your story can help give people permission to climb down from their entrenched positions and and reach out to each other i i don't know i don't think we can do this perfectly but perfect is the enemy of good isn't it and i think you have the power through your stories however they manifest whether they're written in a book whether in a poem in a song whether you're compiling some part of your family history whether it's just when you get to sit down with a friend or a child and reframe them and their life and who they are through your eyes and tell them a different story a more empowering or positive story of themselves i i think you can begin affecting the world around you and begin to make a change if only just to make yourself feel better i don't know i don't i that's that's it isn't it that's the end of today's writing ramble um thank you for letting me talk about it like as you can see i don't have a kind of big thesis i just i had to talk about it because i haven't been able to write because i felt so low um and it's okay to feel that way and you know if you're i just want for a final thing if you are feeling low if you're feeling depressed or anxious please talk to somebody about it um 
don't bottle it up. I think writing can be therapeutic and helpful, but please just don't. Please don't give up and please don't feel despair. You're allowed to grieve. You're allowed to feel terribly, terribly sad. Those are all healthy things that can be the beginning of renewal. And they can crack open the hard shell you've put around yourself. But please just look after yourself because I love you. And I want you to be safe. And we can't write unless we look after ourselves. I mean, unless we're happy. Okay. That's it. Take care.